I've not talked about any jobs with the Biden administration, and I've told President-elect that I stand ready to serve and help and to be his go-to person in the U.S. Senate. Hi there, it's WAMC News Director Ian Pickus. And on this episode of the WAMC News Podcast, my conversation with U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. The Democrat from New York has been in the Senate since 2009. We spoke about President-elect Biden, whether she'll join the administration, outgoing President Trump, and her priorities for 2021. Senator Gillibrand, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, What is your top priority for this lame duck uh, period? Well, the most important thing, obviously, is COVID relief. We are desperate to get more money into our state. Uh, We need state money for the state budget. We need local money for mayor's budgets and uh, county leaders' budgets. Without normal revenue streams of people's income and taxes, it's put such an amount of pressure on the budgets for our first responders, for our frontline workers, for our healthcare systems, for our food banks, for our homeless shelters, for our domestic violence shelters. And so my biggest priority is to get more resources into another COVID package so we can have more unemployment insurance, more money for food banks, more money for homelessness, uh, and more money for our city and state. Now, you said earlier this week you weren't sure about the new uh, compromise package that was being put forward by the the centrists uh, in the Senate. Have you um, made up your mind on that particular bill yet? So I did it more closely. Um, it is a $908 billion package, which uh, could provide some immediate relief for the state and the city. It's not nearly enough, uh, which is one of the challenges, but it would be short term. It would only be for a few months. It would have the needed federal unemployment benefits so that it has about uh, only $300 a week, so it's less than the $600 a week that we wanted for four months. Uh, So that's some money, but not all the money we need. It includes um, about $160 billion for cities and states, which, again, not nearly enough. Um, It does have some money for small businesses, schools, healthcare, transit, student loans, um, and vaccines. So I think it has a, a good balance of resources in there for most of the things that we need just less money than we need. So I'm going to think about it a little more to make sure it's good enough to support. Um, I think people feel a little more confident than they did before because at least President-elect Biden wants to have COVID relief packages and will be pushing for them in the new year as well. So maybe this is the kind of bipartisan bill that could just get us a few more months of relief to people who desperately need it. I I really wouldn't want the year to end without, in, in fact, supporting more relief now because it would it's just too risky and too dangerous to have nothing going into these families and parts of the country that are so much in need. So I'm, I'm weighing it and I'm leaning towards it. I'm disappointed that it doesn't have certain things, but um, I'm weighing the likelihood of having nothing. So that's where I am today. Is your calculus uh, partially that there's a risk that if the Democrats don't win those Georgia Senate runoffs and Mitch McConnell is still in charge of the Senate in the next year, you might still be waiting on the, the bigger package that um, President-elect Biden supports? Right. And and the problem is, is that people's unemployment insurance runs out at the end of the year. Um, and people's a lot of the different protections we put in place all run out at the end of the year. So part of me desperately wants to get more resources into those hands, ASAP, so they just can survive a few more months. I mean, it's, it's really grave. Uh, if you've traveled around the state like I've had and visited the food banks and uh, the shelter system, 
it's frightening. Um, families are just in desperate need, and uh, we have to meet that need. So uh, for those reasons, I think, and, and the uncertainty of the new year, I think it's important to get some resources into the state and into the people's um, homes and, and, on, and food onto their tables. Do you think that the Democrats will win those Senate races in Georgia? I think we've got a fair shot. I think it's 50-50. I think folks have to work really hard to get every vote out to make sure people know that their voice matters and know that their vote counts and really just organize that state and do everything we can to make sure every voter is turned out. And I'm optimistic that we can we can get there. It's just going to take a lot of work and a lot of determination. And the good news is people like Stacey Abrams have been on the ground for a while, really talking to voters about how vital their voices are and making sure they know that by voting and and by making sure all their neighbors and loved ones vote. Now, the backdrop to all of this is that President Trump is yet to concede the race, and he's raised a lot of baseless claims about the sanctity of this vote. Um, What kind of damage do you think is being done right now with uh, Trump refusing to, to get off the stage? You know, it's just, it's part of his narcissism. Uh, He can't admit that he didn't win and he's, you know, fighting tooth and nail for no reason. Um, I do believe, though, all of his avenues for contesting the election have closed. Um, The lawsuits have largely uh, made no headway for him. Uh, They were spurious to begin with. And the elections in the key states have all been certified. Um, We now have authority from OMB to do transitions. So the Biden team is now getting their daily briefings and national security briefings have access to the administration. And so things are moving forward towards transition. Um, Whether President Trump ever concedes or believes he lost, it doesn't matter. Um, The wheels of our democracy are moving and they're moving towards uh, inauguration in January of President-elect Biden and Kamala Harris. At one point, uh, the three of you were all on the same primary debate stage. Have you had a chance to speak with uh, the president-elect or the vice president-elect since Election Day? Yes, and I can't tell you how proud I am of both of them. I talked to Kamala on Thanksgiving, and you know she's working every day, 24-7, to really transition this country to a better government that meets the needs of people. Um, Kamala and I worked very well together in the Senate, so I look forward to helping her um, with writing legislation and delivering on some of the ideas uh, that she and I both worked on. And I've talked to President-elect Biden several times, and we have enormous uh, common ground on issues related to the armed services, uh, related to our veterans, to try to pass burn pits legislation, uh, to work on things like national paid leave and uh, affordable daycare and universal pre-K. There's such a big agenda out there that very much overlaps between um, president-elect Biden's agenda and work that I do in the Senate every day. So I feel like this is an opportunity for me to be extremely prolific and to really help um, this new administration thrive and succeed. And I will do that through my committee work and through legislation. Uh, Your name's been on a lot of lists of potential administration appointees or positions. So do you see yourself in the Senate next year or have you talked about any, any jobs with the Biden administration? I've not talked about any jobs with the Biden administration, and I've told President-elect that I stand ready to serve and help and to be his go-to person in the U.S. Senate. I think that I can really help him in the Senate. Um, I feel it's an enormous privilege to serve in the Senate for New York, and I think I'm well-positioned to be someone who can deliver bipartisan results that President-elect Biden needs. So 
I look forward to serving in the Senate, and I think I can be useful here. What do you think of the cabinet appointments that he has made to date? I'm really excited about them. I have to say I really like his national security team. I like his economic team. Um, They have really a lot of bright lights, um, a lot of backgrounds and um, experiences that are very different. Uh, He has really committed to having the most diverse cabinet in the world, which makes me um, have great faith that he will have the best minds around him. And I think that is exactly what the country needs. And I'm excited about the people he's selected so far. Uh, a moment ago, you mentioned your burn pits legislation. Uh, the last time I saw you in person was actually in Albany while you were promoting uh, that that legislation. What would it do and uh, what is the holdup to getting it passed? So during the global war on terror, uh, the Army built massive open burn pits um, to dispose of waste. I mean, it was everything from electrical equipment, chemicals, clothing, um, computers, and they would burn it all with uh, jet fuel. And so we know from 9-11 that when you combine all those things and burn it with jet fuel, it creates terrible, carcinogenic, horrible toxins. And for people who had to serve right near these burn pits, um, they were breathing in these toxins day after day, week after week, month after month. So even in New York, um, the 10th Mountain Division uh, from Fort Drum had many deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan and burn pits there were common. Um, we know that service members would work, eat, sleep near these burn pits. They breathe in the doc- these toxins and come home with horrible cancers and respiratory diseases. Many of these service members are now sick and dying, but the VA keeps denying their claims. And so for any veteran of the war on terror, um, this is basically their Agent Orange. Just as Congress passed legislation to protect people from Agent Orange, we will pre- we will pass legislation to do the same. It will be presumptive benefits that any veteran exposed to uh, these toxins and fought in the war on terror and were in any of these countries that had the burn pits, they will be presumptively be covered. Are burn pits still being used? You know, they're not supposed to be used. Um, They made a decision um, through the military not to use them anymore and started using incinerators instead. But I cannot guarantee you that there are no burn pits anywhere else in the world um, because other countries have burn pits and um, don't have laws like we do in America. They're illegal in America. You couldn't, like, create a burn pit in your backyard and burn everything in your house. Like, you can't do that So um, because it's so toxic. But it's not illegal in the whole world. So I can't guarantee there aren't any, but they're not supposed to be using them anymore. So what's the status of the bill? Uh, do you see this getting done in 2021? I do. Um, right now, I'm negotiating with Republicans to try to get a lead Republican sponsor. I have a couple of good um, members of the Armed Services Committee that might provide that lead. So I'm working with them. And we hope to introduce it uh, in the new Congress and get a vote on it sooner than later. Uh, just one more thing. You know, years before um, Representative Stefanik was trying to get GOP women elected to Congress, you were doing much the same thing um, on the other side of the aisle. Uh, she had a very good um, election night. Her super PAC did, of, of course, with getting some some candidates sent to Congress. I'm just wondering, does that leave you with mixed feelings at all, uh, given the fact that you disagree with those candidates politically? I do think it's generally a good idea to have more women elected to Congress. And the reason why is 
women are often more collaborative. They're more often um, able to put their partisan politics by the door, and they're able to find common ground. So I think more women is always better than less women. Um, I want more Democratic women because they share my values and my goals, but I think there's no downside uh, with changing the makeup of Congress. I would like Congress to someday be 51% women, and I'm certainly going to do my part through off the sidelines to elect as many of them as I can uh, as part of the Democratic Party. Were you disappointed that the Democrats didn't have a better election day um, in the House and Senate? Well, you know, we did have a couple of victories that I was really excited about. Um, certainly having uh, Senator Pickenlooper get elected in Colorado, um, to have Mark Kelly uh, be elected in Arizona really makes a difference. And I think it's uh, vital that we won those seats. Um, I was disappointed that we lost a few others, but at the end of the day, uh, winning two matters. And we only lost one. Uh, we lost Doug Jones, sadly. He was such a great, bright light. I hope, he's be, he, I hope he gets considered for a cabinet position because he really is a smart man who has a vision for the country. So, um, But we won a lot of House seats, and there was still a lot of um, seats that we won in 2018 that were very hard to win. They were in red and purple districts that we won re-election. So people like Lucy McBath won her re-election, and Lauren Underwood won her re-election, and those were close races. So we did keep the gains uh, largely that we made in 2018, which was a new set of voters in different parts of the country in red and purple places that supported our candidate. So because we held on to those seats, I was actually really grateful. So we, we did okay. It wasn't as bad as some pundits like to say. Um, we, did, we won more than we lost, and, and we held on to some really key seats that were hard to hold on to. All right. Well, that's New York U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a Democrat in office since 2009. Senator, thank you for taking all this time and we'll stay in touch uh, going into the next year. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Take care. All right. That does it for this episode of the WAMC News Podcast. Thanks for listening. Remember to rate this podcast and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, stay safe. I'm Ian Pickus.